Welcome to the CEC report for the 4th of August 2017. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is the leader of CEC, Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, remember the global financial crisis? You're oh. now watching the sequel. Oh. <laughs> and secondly, experts prove Russia didn't hack US election. So, interesting show today, Craig. Yep. So firstly, remember the global financial crisis? You're now watching the sequel. So we're going to jump straight into it. There's a lot of big, earth-shaking financial developments across the globe here in Australia and across the transatlantic banking sector. Um, on the 1st of August, Frank Partnoy, who's an author who wrote uh, Fiasco, Blood in the Water on Wall Street. We've talked about his analysis of the GFC and his warnings prior to that a lot on this show. Uh, so he wrote an article in the Financial Times headlined, the sequel to the global financial crisis is here. And coming from him, this should be taken extremely seriously because he called it 100% uh, correctly the first time. Now, what he's talking about is a new phenomenon which is similar to what caused the 2007-2008 crisis. And as people would know, at that time you had uh, a lot of dodgy mortgages that had been bundled up in order to be resold as securities mm. uh, with AAA ratings, even though they were dodgy as they come, a lot of subprime mortgages as they called them. Now, we've got a new phenomenon today. It's not uh, collateralised debt obligations or CDOs, it's CLOs, collateralised loan obligations. So that difference of one letter makes all the difference, Craig, because this Definitely. time, reportedly, uh, the same thing won't happen again, according to the experts, because all business loans could not default at once. And that's exactly what they said about mortgages. You're not mm -hmm. going to have them all defaulting at once. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there won't be any kind of a major crisis. Now, you have all the same players as well. You have ratings agencies. They're again rating everything at AAA, even with the dodgiest of loans. And we've reported on the show previously that there's a huge uh, bubble of corporate debt in the United States. There's also a huge commercial real estate debt, I will add, which is worth $11 trillion if you include commercial mortgage-backed securities. Um, so that's $11 trillion and the top 20 transatlantic banks have a $1.4 trillion exposure to those uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities. So this is a bubble exactly of the same kind of dimensions. Now, Partnoy says in his article, Craig, that Dodd-Frank was supposed to stop all of this from happening. But he said cracks are everywhere and smart operators just shove all the risk onto third parties. He says, quote, it is hard to police the financial markets. New business school graduates are inevitably one step ahead of their regulator counterparts. Now, there's an argument for Glass-Steagall, Craig, if I ever heard one, because the only form of adequate regulation is to actually completely ban banks that take deposits from gambling. Yeah. You can let investment houses do it, you can let anyone else do it, but banks that have to be protected cannot be allowed to do it, and that's the only thing that'll work. Well, that's right, Lisa, and look, this is a political policy. It's not a banking policy, it's not a monetarist policy, it's a political policy first and foremost. What you've seen in Australia and around the world in the last 40 years is this increasing uh, policy towards uh, globalisation, free trade, here economic rationalism, privatisation, where the idea of the nation state, the idea of governments representing the people has been usurped 
by a financial, what we call a financial oligarchy, groupings of financial interests that are only interested in their private profits. And this is actually centred in the City of London and Wall Street. And we've shown them many times through our publications how this is directly linked back to the, the, the aspect of the British Crown. And people say, British Crown? What are you talking about? Well, go back 100 years, Elise, and look at what the British Crown actually was. It was the British Empire. It used to enforce opium trading. It used to enforce its free trade policy, slave trading on the rest of the world. And nothing's much changed except all of this has become like an informal financial empire where these sorts of policies of speculation are what is being promoted. Now, Glass-Steagall was brought in by Franklin Roosevelt in 1933 as a policy to deal with exactly this same uh, issue. Yep. But, you know, when he was inaugurated on the 4th of March of 1933, all the banks, the banks in 46 of the 48 states had been shut down, the banking system had been shut down. The stock markets had been shut down because of the, uh, the effect of the uh, Great Depression, which was brought about by speculation at that particular point of time. Now, in June of 1933, he said this can't be allowed to continue, so he brought in Glass-Steagall, which separated out the necessary legitimate commercial banks. And up to that point, about 6,000 banks in the United States had collapsed and disappeared. And you had hundreds of thousands of people and millions of dollars mm. worth of their savings just completely and utterly obliterated. And he said this should never happen again. So through a series of hearings, public hearings, from, from, a, from the public prosecutor at that point by the name of Ferdinand Pecora, Ferdinand Pecora got the big bankers of Wall Street, the House of Morgan, J.P. Morgan and so forth, to testify and they, in a sense, hung themselves in showing the American people just how corrupt the banking system was. And then Franklin Roosevelt was able to bring in a law to separate out the necessary legitimate commercial banking system was protected by the government. It was actually the, the deposits were also insured at that particular point from the rampant investment merchant banking houses that were that, that were involved in the speculation and today we have the same problem we have these huge too big to fail banks in australia that are implicitly using government guarantees and the idea that governments are always going to bail them out uh, hiding behind that in order to be able to speculate like you wouldn't believe in things like derivatives these very dodgy gambling instruments we call them gambling instruments, but they're so-called insurance policies that you know, on, on financial side bets and all sorts of crazy stuff. In fact, they're so complicated, most people don't even know what they are. But, I mean, our, our banks have, between them in Australia, something in the vicinity of $34 trillion of national capital value of these things. And they won't report anymore okay. how mm. much they've got on, uh, they're involved in these things. Mm. I mean, the Commonwealth Bank and the National Bank have stopped reporting because it's so sensitive. Yeah. So what you've got to do with Glass-Steagall to protect the system uh, is implement that immediately. Politically, this is, what the, this is the only way forward to solve the current financial well, problems. Yeah, and there's a huge political reticence to go in that direction because of the political implications, right? I mean, Trump breathed the words Glass-Steagall and almighty, you know, hell comes down on him and so forth. Um, in the UK, the same thing with Jeremy Corbyn pushing for Glass-Steagall. So in Europe, instead of taking the approach that you just mapped out, uh, of course, they've already implemented bail-in uh, a year ago, and that was in order to keep banks afloat. They would confiscate people's deposits. Well, now Reuters has just revealed a new proposal 
where the EU would be able to freeze bank accounts for between five to 20 days to prevent people taking their money out and you know triggering a banking crisis. And this has been discussed since the beginning of this year, but after this big bank in Spain collapsed, Banco Popular and two regional Italian banks uh, also collapsed, then you had a big bail-in slash bail-out of the Monte dei Paschi di Siena Bank, the biggest, the oldest bank in the world actually. Um, there was a big discussion about this on the 13th of July. There's some disagreement about it, but they're going to continue discussing it in September. Um, and of course, even the head of the Association for Financial Markets in Europe has said that we strongly believe that this would incentivise depositors to run from a bank at an early stage. So it will backfire, um, but this is the kind of proposal that you're talking about. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll keep discussing this right after this quick break. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing the sequel to the GFC underway right now, which is what leading experts are saying. Um, so we just talked about this report that's been put forward by the EU to actually freeze people's deposits from between 5 to 20 days during a crisis. So this is a big deal. It's something that's been on the cards for a long time. It was actually the, a similar idea was discussed during the GFC 2007-08 in London itself, uh, where a banker by the name of Tim Price a year ago told Money Week magazine that the Bank of England came, and they admitted this, they came very close to shutting down Lloyds of London and the Royal Bank of Scotland, RBS. And this Tim Price basically said, look, you would have had martial law if people hadn't have been able to get money out of their ATM because deposits were frozen. He said, you're talking troops on the streets. And this interfaces with something else that we talk about a lot on the show, uh, which are the police state and fascist laws put in place under the pretext of terrorism, which is mainly encouraged from inside Londonistan and these other locations, sponsored by Saudi Arabia, etc., um, but which have brought in place prohibitive laws such as um, the police in London last year requested the ability to shut down the Square Mile, which is the city of London proper, uh, to any vehicular traffic and foot traffic during a terrorist attack, but that's the sort of thing that could also be invoked during a financial crisis. Now, there's been similar warnings coming out of London from the Bank of England, where the um, Director for Financial Stability, Strategy and Risk has warned of the mortgages and fast-growing consumer credit bubbles there. And also Moody's has put out a similar warning saying household debt in Britain has risen to a worrying level. And they are also very worried about um, the risks of asset-backed securities, which again are these bundling up and reselling of all forms of debt just to keep the system turning over. And we have the same thing here, Craig. Yeah, look, one of the things that people, our viewers should be realising is that when you talk about speculation, you have to say, well, what is this doing to produce real physical goods? What are we manufacturing? What are we growing? What are we, in a sense, sometimes mining? What are we actually adding to the to the value of our minerals and so forth that we're digging out of the ground? Where, and when you look at all this speculation, you see there's nothing being produced. It's all simple paper. So what we have to go back to, and this is where the politics comes back, you have to go back to a Glass-Steagall re-regulation of the system. You have to have a national bank, like we used to have with the Commonwealth Bank, which did a fantastic job in World War II of regulating the private banks. 
We need to have a national bank that issues credit, not into the specula speculative side of things, but into the physical economy so that we put people back to work, we develop high quality infrastructure, and we build our, out the ability for us to pour out the goods that we need in this country. Now, mm. it's all been masked by globalisation and so forth, where we can bring in cheap goods. But look at the, the real actual unemployment in this country and underemployment is about 20%. And that's being hidden and masked. And with increasing house prices and those sorts of things, mm. uh, and the fact that you know just a small increase in interest rates would see something like 57% of people go into severe mortgage stress, mm -hmm. of mortgage holders that is, you start to see that this global financial crisis that we're talking about is in progress. We're seeing this, the, 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 you know, the small taper at the moment, but we can see a massive increase in the amount of problems that's going to come on. So when we talk about all the speculation, people just have to have in mind, well, what's this producing? Mm. Nothing. And we need preemptive action now to clean the speculation out of the banks so that, you know, if something happens, if they collapse, the people won't be affected by that. And that's the only thing. And Australia is right on the brink now with this mortgage bubble. Canada's housing bubble has been pricked. We're in a similar boat. It didn't blow in the last GFC, so we could be actually the forefront of this new crisis. Yeah, and this, as I said, I must stress it's a political problem. So people need to call into our program, call into our office and get a copy of the Australian Alert Service, which goes through these things in great detail get copies of our petition for Glass-Steagall mm -hmm. and, and start to get signatures on that to present to, the, to give back to us and we'll present that to the parliament. Yeah. Because this is a political problem. It's the, the solutions to the financial system are very clear, very mm -hmm. clear cut. They're not complicated, but the political will to do this in Australia is growing amongst our, our MPs. Yeah. Um, you know, Bill Shorten says he doesn't support Glass-Steagall. Well, you know, Jeremy Corbyn, who does, yeah. is creating enormous paradoxes for the Labor Party here. That's right. Uh, and we've also written a formal proposal for Glass-Steagall, which you can take a copy of. It's written for MPs so they can understand what we're on about. Take one to your MP, call us and get a copy. Now, we'll be right back after this break to talk about the so-called Russian hack of the US election that never happened. Welcome back to the CEC Report. We're now discussing experts prove Russia didn't hack US election. So it's now official, Russia didn't hack the US election and we know they didn't because no one hacked it. There was no hack. Now the original claim was that Russia hacked into DNC computers, the Democratic National Committee, which is the leadership of the Democratic Party, stealing emails that exposed various things that were going on in Hillary Clinton's campaign and were detrimental to her campaign. Uh, and then someone supposedly passed that on to WikiLeaks. Mm -hmm. So that was the lie. Now, this has been exposed um, in, in an excellent way by an organisation known as VIPS. It stands for Veterans, Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. And this is an organisation made up of retired intelligence analysts such as Ray McGovern, who was a CIA analyst, and William Binney, who was a former technical director of the NSA, the National Security Agency, and he actually designed a lot of the NSA, NSA's systems. So these are people that know what they're talking about. They have published a memo to President Trump, which is titled, Was the Russian Hack an Inside Job? 
And so what they've provided in this memo, and you can get a copy, the full thing is in our latest Australian Alert Service, you can call us for a copy, is a forensic examination of the metadata from the 5th of July hack, which was owned up to by the hacker known as Guccifer 2.0. And this reveals that the data taken from the DNC servers could not have been taken externally, uh, meaning from someone outside the premises hacking into their computer system. Why? Because it was too fast. Basically, the amount of data they took in a very short time frame is simply not possible from a remote location. So if you've ever tried to you know, download a movie or something, you see how long it takes. Imagine trying to do it remotely from a distance, hacking into someone at the same time. Um, nearly two gigabytes of data was downloaded with this so-called hack in 87 seconds. Oh. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> at least that's a two gigabytes about the standard movie size, mm. and that usually takes at least 10 to 15 minutes. Mm. That's on a very fast connection. That's not working remotely. That's, that's been, right. Yeah. So the data had to have been copied onto a storage device, um, and the metadata that they studied also revealed that it, ha it took place, the hack, if, if there was a hack or wherever it was taken from, was on the east coast of the United States. So that's where the DNC headquarters is in Washington, D.C. It certainly wasn't from Russia. So it was someone, an insider, that obviously went in, put a USB in the computer and took the information. Um, now, a few questions to raise. If someone had hacked the DNC, the NSA would know it and would easily prove it. If anyone's watched the Edward Snowden movie, you'll know they get everything. They get mm -hmm. all the data, they take every phone call, all emails, they have it there, they can look it up. Also, the FBI never examined the DNC computer system to look for evidence of the hack. So James Comey, former FBI director, John Brennan, former CIA director, they're all liable here. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to show a quick clip uh, from Ray McGovern from VIPS, and he's going to explain to you what went on looking at the chronology, because there were two actual different leaks. There was the WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks leak in the first place, and then there was this supposed hack, but he'll explain it. Well, let me, let me kind of draw the, the little chronology here, and I'd ask for the patience of, of all you listening here or watching, because it's a little bit complicated, but I'll try to make it simple. June 12th, 2016, last year, Julian Assange announces, we have emails related to Hillary Clinton that we are going to publish soon. Right. June 12th. June 15th, just, what, three days later, right? Uh, CrowdStrike, the DNC uh, contractor, uh, announces that our, the DNC system has been compromised. Someone has adulterated or inserted malware, is what they said, into the system. And we think it was the Russians. There's evidence that it was the Russians. Okay, that's the 15th of June, three days after Julian said, whoops, here's right. coming. On the same day, truly by coincidence, this Guccifer 2.0 raises its head and says, aha, the DNC, the CrowdStrike is right. We did it. Okay. Right. We did Roll it. Me. Yeah. Right. I figured it and, out. And we're working for, for WikiLeaks. Okay. Right. Oh, wow. Now, uh, what happens next? Next, we know 
that on July 5th, so a couple weeks later, someone, not hacked, but someone copied information from DNC computers or the local area network having to do with their server. Uh, and that someone was in the, on the East Coast because the metadata shows that it was Eastern Daylight Time. Mm -hmm. And it was copied at a speed that far exceeds anything that the internet is capable of. What does that mean? For a layman, it means that you, it's not a hack. <laughs> hack is a, you do it from a remote site right. in your hack-in. Uh, and the only thing you can, you can do that so quickly, and you know, I can give you the speeds if you like, but they, they're mind-boggling, is if you have a uh, thumb drive, for example, stick it in the computer, then you can run it at those kinds of speeds. That's important, okay? Mm -hmm. So that means that that particular, now we're talking about a different download or different copy now. Uh, we already, I hope, disposed of the one, the one that Julian Assange got. This is very different. Now, why would they do that? Well, <laughs> the 12th of June, 15th of June, as soon as they learn that Julian Assange had emails related to mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, what are you going to do? Well, as I reconstructed, what we do is we say it's from the Russians. And so CrowdStrike, who's working for the DNC, announces, hmm, uh, there's malware, and we think it was the Russians. And then immediately, same day, Gustafer says, yeah, yeah, we did it, and we're working for Julian Assange. Okay. Now, the idea, of course, <laughs> of course, uh, you know, this is how we interpret it. Uh, the idea was, since Julian Assange was going to come out with emails, and God knows when, maybe he'd do it right in front of the, right before the Democratic National Convention. My God, that would be awful. Right. So we'll say that he got it from the Russians, and that way we can divert attention from what's in the emails. Mm -hmm. Because God knows how much he's got there. He might be able to show that we stole the, the nomination from from Bernie Sanders, I mean, it's probably in there, you know. Right. So, uh, so let's let's uh, do this little preemptive mood move. Let's in June here, before he ever gets this stuff out, before he Julian doesn't adulterate these things. Uh, what he does is sort of array them in in searchable form. It's going to take a while, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So we have a little time. We've got six weeks or so. Let's or they didn't know how long, but, but let's do it right away. And so when Julian Assange comes out with this, they're all set to say, aha, it was the Russian attacking. So it's very clear, Craig, from this chronology that the story about the so-called hack was fabricated as a smokescreen to divert from the material that Assange was about to release. And of course, it was made to look like a, a Russian hack. They left Russian so-called fingerprints on it. Um, and, you know, it's very clear that they have the programs to do that. That was all released in other WikiLeaks hacks, uh, leaks earlier in the year where they showed that they could, you know, spy on you from your smart TV and things like that. But Craig, why, what, this is, a, the agenda here is political. Why are they trying to stop you, the US and Russia collaborating? Lisa, if, if the US and Russia collaborated for the first time since the Cold War started, this would be a complete change in the way the world operates today. And the fact is that Putin would like to collaborate with the US. Trump has indicated he wants to collaborate with Putin. But the neocons want to maintain this situation of ongoing, never-ending wars. And 
so forth, conflict. There's a lot to say in this, and people should get our alert service to and read about it. But that's essentially it. Stop collaboration between Trump and Russia at all costs. That's right. Now, we've run out of time again, but thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Lisa. And join us again next week for the CEC report. The Citizens Electoral Council will be present at the Royal Adelaide Show from the 1st to the 10th of September. Come and see us at the Jubilee Pavilion, site G54.